Well, good morning, and uh, I hope you're all doing well after a little snowfall. You remember my dog, Flynn, I told you about a few weeks ago. And uh, it's nice to get a nice, fresh blanket of snow over the backyard. Just <laughs> makes it look that much better and Christmassy. Well, we're uh, working through a series of sermons on the spiritual gifts and, and uh, titled Unwrapped. So seeking uh, the spiritual gifts for our own lives and the ways in which God might want to uh, uh, minister to us and through us in these spiritual gifts and, and, and receiving them as that, as a gift uh, from our Heavenly Father that uh, is not based on any merit of our own, but just rather uh, an open heart. And uh, Alyssa discussed uh, a few weeks ago three components of gift giving, which I thought was a helpful framework for thinking about this because it equal, is equally applicable. I don't have any funny YouTube videos. I would just show the ones Alyssa showed because I thought those were really funny. But um, the gift, the giver, and the one who receives the gift. So that is the gift, the one giving the gift, and the one who receives the gift. And today I want to focus a little more on uh, the reception of uh, the three gifts that I'm going to talk about. And, and these three gifts are probably, well, next to uh, speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. The gifts that I want to talk about today are probably as equally uh, difficult to think about, to navigate, um, and we'll unpack some of that. And, and depending on your tradition... Um, a charismatic or a Pentecostal tradition, the three gifts that I'll talk about, the gift of faith and the, the uh, uh, working of miracles and the gift of healing. So in a charismatic or a Pentecostal tradition, it's no problem, we're quite at home with that. Or if you're from a cessationist tradition on the opposite end, which means the gift kind of ceased with the apostles, then it's like, no thank you. So those are kind of two differing uh, perspectives and feelings of that or perceptions that people may have about uh, particularly those two gifts, gifts of healing and working of miracles. So these three gifts that do is what I want to talk about today, these gifts of uh, doing, so where something is manifested in a kind of a physical way, particularly with gifts of healing and uh, gifts of, uh, or the working of miracles. And so our text is from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 9 to 10, and let me read it for you. It's just a, a verse and a half, 1 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. So to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles. I was once teaching talking about Jesus and his miracles, but I noticed that the students started to chuckle as I was teaching about Jesus' miracles, because I was pronouncing them miracles, the miracles of Jesus. Where I come from, we talk about miracles, and then I corrected myself, I'm from the Maritimes, maybe that'll make it a little funnier. Miracles, sorry, you may not all know my background. I grew up in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia, not far from Pastor Blaine, who was across the water. So I want to define these uh, gifts this morning uh, as, a, as a way to begin or, or look at these 
And uh, when we think about the gifts of uh, healing and working of miracles, there's a definite overlap between those two things, basically because, as Alyssa and Brian have pointed out, these gifts are things that breach the laws of nature. There's a certain natural way that the world works that science from the 17th century onward, or 18th century onward, has kind of helped us determine that there's certain laws that the way the natural world works, and these things would, would break those laws. And um, even in the biblical text in the ministry of Jesus, three times Jesus um, during his ministry, at least that it's recorded, for instance, in the Gospel of Mark, he says, the Son of Man must suffer much, be betrayed into the hands of, of men, and then three days he will rise again. So Jesus predicted the resurrection, his own resurrection from the dead. But if you look at the uh, narratives of the the resurrection accounts in the Gospels, no one was really expecting it. Uh, The women who went to the tomb, they were anointing Jesus with spices to not make the body smell so much. You don't... um, do that kind of ritual practice if you're expecting somebody to hop up after being dead for three days because the body doesn't have time to decay. Similarly, at a funeral service, we don't begin, well, let's just one more time, we're going to pray for a resurrection from the dead. It just doesn't happen very often. Now, it's not to say that because we don't see these things happen that they don't happen, right? Um, When I was at a conference a while back, I spoke with Harmon Schmelzenbach, several generations down, Nazarene missionary, not if he lived in the 19th century, this would be a great-grandson. And uh, he was serving in uh, Papua New Guinea, and uh, at the hospital there, they have actually documented where the surgical team, somebody had died on the table, and they said, well, let's just pray for them. And then they came back to life with no medical intervention at all. So these things do happen, it's just that we don't see it very often, because it breaches something that is so normal and so natural for us, right? As far as the way the world works and and natural things operate. So there's an overlap between gifts of healing and the working of miracles. So when we look specifically, though, at the gifts of healing, what are we talking about? Well, it's, it's really just a restoration of ourselves. It could be the restoration of our physical bodies. It could be the restoration of our insides, like our hearts, our minds, our souls. Paul talks about in the first couple verses of Romans 12 about the renewing of our minds, the, the transformation of our heart and our mind that God wishes to restore and heal us. And so every uh, six months at, at First Church, we do the, uh, the Set Free Retreat, which is focuses on those ways in which God wants to repair and work within our hearts and our minds to develop us more into His image. But when we think about the gifts of healing, I think when uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, we're thinking typically more about uh, physical healing. And this is something Jesus did um, regularly, routinely, as a manifestation that God indeed reigns and, and sickness does not. And, and the gifts of the Spirit is whereby we as the people of God can do the things that Jesus himself has done. And now typically we align that kind of thinking with a charismatic or a Pentecostal tradition, but actually it's quite biblical. This idea in our denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, believes in divine healing, and so the spiritual gifts are a way in which, when it comes to healing, that God would work through us to see somebody physically restored. And it, it may happen in very unexpected ways. I remember praying for someone in this church who, who their back had kind of 
broken down on them, if you will, and uh, had to go on long-term disability. And, and this individual didn't even want to come to church that morning, didn't uh, even want prayer, but just her husband said, just, you know, let the group pray for you and we'll see what happens. And, and I just prayed like, Jesus, we just pray that you would heal her back. And, and lo and behold, like just in that moment, you could see it in her face and, and she was healed and she went off long-term disability and back to work and was fine. So that was kind of cool, I thought. That, that was actually the first time anybody ever got healed when I prayed for them. So I thought, well, that's why I remember it. Um, and, and, and another time there was just, an, uh, well, it was actually Heather. I'll call her out. Um, Heather Mack, your wife, um, had uh, something wrong with her leg. And she had walked by, and I just felt the Lord say, you should go and, and pray for her. And so I got the other Heather, I think, and uh, said, let's just pray for Heather's foot. And well, lo and behold, it, it got better. So it's just, but then I've prayed for lots of people where nothing happened at all. And why does that happen? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. This other one, uh, the working of miracles. And it's kind of a broader category, at least the way I think about it. You know, it'd be kind of a, a divine in intervention of God in, in a situation where you wouldn't expect anything to change. And... Um, you may think this is a, a little out there. It is a little out there, but it actually saved me a lot of money. Um, I remember the cruise control on my minivan had broken down, and, and uh, I don't know if you know anything about cars and electronics. It's just a money pit. You just kind of live with it if you don't have to bother getting it fixed. And uh, I just prayed. I said, in the name of Jesus, just let this cruise control work. And lo and behold, it started working after like three months. And it like had it been broken for three months and then never failed again. And, uh, and I thought, wow, that's, that's really cool. So one could say, well, maybe that's just coincidence, but I don't know, cars and electronics, I don't think that's a coincidence if you know anything about that stuff. And, and so it, when we think about the spiritual gifts, it's, it's, it's asking ourselves, what are the ways in which Jesus wants to reveal how he loves us? And, and sometimes that reveals his love for us to show us that he's really interested in things that we may not even think about God being interested in. And, and the spiritual gifts just make space for God to work in very unexpected ways at times. And then finally, this gift of faith. Uh, I think of it as a kind of a strong, overwhelming sense that, that God is going to move. And, and we relate and pray to God in such a way over a specific situation that God is indeed going to move. And, and we see this with the prophet Elijah where he's like totally taunting the prophets of Baal, if you know the story in 1 Kings uh, 18, you know, maybe your gods, he's out using the bathroom, he's having a nap, whatever, and, and nothing's happening. And, and I mean, if I was taunting the prophets of Baal, and now it's my turn to call down fire from heaven, after all of that kind of smack talk I was giving to my opponents, I'd be like, boy, I hope you really show up, God. Um, but, but that's the thing, uh, Elijah... It says right in the text that he was obedient to everything that God had called him to do, and he knew that God was going to show up, and he prays, answer me, O Lord, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back, and whoom, all of a sudden this fire comes from heaven. And I think sometimes when we think about the spiritual gifts, there, there is a lot of sensationalism associated with them. Pastor Brian talked last week about, you know, uh, faith healers on television and, and kind of uh, not maybe always fabricating things, but kind of 
drumming kind of an energy up about certain things, and then there's other people that don't get healed. But we have to remember fundamentally what the purpose of, of divine healing is and these spiritual gifts are, is, is to reveal the presence of God, that God loves His people. And, and in the book of Acts, the modus operandi, the way in which people come to know God is, is through these miraculous activities. It's the acts of the apostles, not the speeches of the apostles. It's actually the, the, the speeches provide a venue for God to show up, and then God shows up, like when Peter's preaching, the gift of tongues falls on these dirty old Gentiles, and he's like, wow, how did that happen? Those people outside the people of God have been filled with the Holy Spirit all of a sudden. So, so they're, they're redemptive. They're meant to draw people into the presence of God to realize that, that God is God, and I am not, and this God loves me. So we do indeed serves, serve, rather, a God who heals. There's, there's no question about that. I remember um, my friend of mine, uh, I'll just this one last story and then we'll move on, but a good friend of mine, Doug uh, Balzer, he's with uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and he was in an auto parts yard um, a couple months ago, and well... I don't know if you go to ever pick and pull or places like these, but no, it's a certain kind of folk that, that work there. And, and, and uh, you know, the way that you may be used to customer service when you go to a, say, a store in the mall might be a bit different. And, um, and so anyway, this, <laughs> Doug, this guy's helping Doug find the car part that he needs, and this guy's got a toque on, pulled right down like this, dark sunglasses on, and he's like walking around like this. You know, oh, there's the whatever, your alternator go get it. And, um, and Doug all of a sudden just feels the Lord saying, you should pray for this guy. Um, and this guy kept saying repeatedly before this, oh, this headache. No, I won't add all the adjectives in. Uh, this headache, this headache. I'm in a lot of pain. And, and Doug felt the Holy Spirit just say, you should pray for him. Doug's like, I don't want to do that today. I just want to get my car part and I want to go on with my day. And, um, and so the Lord wouldn't stop, and finally Doug's like, okay, and, and he just said to him, you know, I think the Lord wants to show you his love. Um, I want to pray for uh, this headache of yours, and we'll just kind of see what happens. And, and the guy's like, no one really knows how to respond to that. Um, <laughs> the guy's like, okay. And uh, so Doug just prays, Lord, I just pray that you would show your love to such and such, uh, and just that you would uh, heal him of this headache. And, and the guy's like, does one of these. It's like, whoa, what happened there? And, and Doug even went a little further and, and said, uh, well, you still got some pain there? He's like, yeah, I still do. And he's like, well, well let me just pray again. And the guy's like, so it, Doug's like, he doesn't know how to respond to Doug. Uh, he says, just keep doing what you're doing. And so he's like filling out the order on the computer, and I'll just pray again. Doug's on the other side of the counter. It's really awkward. And Doug prays again, and this guy's headache just totally evaporates. And he's like, wow, that was amazing. And so the question is with that, okay, what's, what's the end game? I mean, did he lead that person to Jesus Christ? Nope. Uh, did he plant a seed? Yup. Because we in this denomination believe in a thing called provenient grace, where God's Spirit is always at work in the lives of believers and unbelievers. And you just never know the role that you play in the life of somebody else and, and what the role Doug played in the life of that individual that day. So those are all like the, the positive things. And, and I think, you know, there's a good strong biblical basis for seeking the gifts of the Spirit. But there's common questions that, um, that we may have 
uh, based on our perception of these gifts. And I want to go through a few of these uh, with you uh, this morning. The first one is, and the, the biggest one, is that number one question, why doesn't everyone get healed? And uh, we see that in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, there is still lots of people for the apostles to heal after Jesus was ascended. So he didn't heal everyone. Um, that poor old beggar in the gate of the temple, I'm sure Jesus walked by that guy a thousand times and uh, Peter and John, you know, came by. So you get my point. So there is that kind of just to, to state that at the beginning. I think for me, this question stems from, you know, uh, at least some of the teachings I've heard on divine healing, that, that um, it would imply that God's nowhere to be found in the lives of those who don't get healed because of the overemphasis on God always healing. And, and it's particularly true in some charismatic, more Pentecostal traditions, and, and we won't get into the history of all of that and how our denomination aligns with that, but there is a history we could talk about. Um, where, where sometimes there's not um, a consideration for, well, what happens when God, God doesn't heal? Where, where is God, or how is God present in the lives of those individuals? Because it's, it's a thing. I mean, it's clearly there um, because not everyone gets healed. So why doesn't everyone get healed? Put my fancy response up there. Does anyone know what that means? I don't know. I was pretty proud of myself. My... Uh, I had to check with my daughter just to be sure that that meant I don't know. This is texting jargon. It's a lot better than some people's response might be IDC, which is I don't care. Um, but I'm here to tell you that you should care. So maybe a more appropriate response, or sorry, a more appropriate uh, question is this. For those who don't get healed at the time of prayer, because we believe in divine healing and we can't ignore it and, and, and just erase it because there's these difficult questions that arise around this, this issue. So maybe a more appropriate question would be for those who don't get healed at the time of prayer, how is God present to them in times of sickness and in suffering? And the scriptures are clear about this. The God revealed in Jesus Christ knows pain. He knows suffering. This same God who died on the cross, Jesus Christ, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a cry of utter abandonment, of, of separation from his heavenly Father. And uh, Paul articulates this in kind of a different way, but understanding with an, another member of the Trinity of the, of, of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, in the second half of Romans 8, you might want to look at it later, basically from 8.17 onward, Paul acknowledges that life is not as it should be. But it's interesting, in the first half of chapter 8, it's like some of the grandest statements Paul makes about the Holy Spirit's presence in the life of the individual. That we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. That we can live a victorious Christian life. But on the other hand, when you read the second half of Romans 8, boy, we still have a long way to go. Our bodies are groaning for redemption. That life as it currently is, isn't complete, isn't full until Christ returns. So there's this tension, right? And whatever it is about human nature, we like to, we don't like these tensions. We want to live in a space that it's just all kind of one way, such as rah, rah, the Holy Spirit, nothing bad is going to happen. Oh my goodness, my life is terrible. And where is God in the midst of it? But finally, maybe when Jesus comes back, it'll get better. 
there, there, there is definitely a tension there. But somewhere in the middle, because of the, the fullness of God, he, he ministers to us no matter where we are on this spectrum. And there's a verse here in, uh, in Romans 8. I'd like to read it to you. Romans 8, 22. The, I put 26 up there, but let me just start a little earlier. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. I think I preached about, not preached, but referred to my wife's groaning and labor pains before, so we won't get into that today. Um, but that's, that's the metaphor. It's just a, a real kind of deep-seated pain. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who, are, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption. This, this is the language of suffering. This is the language of, of separation, of limitation. But he says, we don't do this on our own in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. So our limitation, our separation sometimes is so kind of claustrophobic in a sense that we can't even utter the words as we would like to God. But we have this Holy Spirit who's so acquainted with pain that he can articulate pain and intercedes with sighs too deep for words this groaning. So the God we serve knows pain, knows limitation, knows disappointment, and will one day restore us. And this creation in which we live completely, because he's a God of hope. And so the, the focus of my sermon is really the God of healing in the present, but also the God of hope. I had this idea of putting up a diagram I like to show my students, but I think it would have taken us too far off track. That kind of articulates this whole thing. Save it for another time. But, but theologians talk about the life in which we live now as life in between the times. We're in between the times on the one hand of the fall and the life associated with the fall. It has changed. We don't just have the law which shows us how bad we are with no chance for redemption. No, the Spirit has come. Christ has died on the cross. He's been resurrected. Redemption and healing is available now. But sin and the effects of it, still, we still live with that in this current life. Christ has not returned, and so that is where we are. But because of the coming of Christ, the life of the future, heaven, life, joy, peace, patience, all of these virtues uh, associated with Advent are all because of the coming of Jesus Christ. And so the stuff reserved for the future after the coming of Jesus Christ has dipped also into the present. So we're in this in-between time of sin on the one hand and all of the stuff Adam did, death spreading to all, and the coming of Christ and life coming to all. And so here we are in the midst of this where life as a result, is very complex, which means then that we can't think in absolutist terms about our experiences. Next question. How would I receive such a gift that enables me via the Spirit to break the laws of nature? Well, it's quite simple. Paul says in 14.1, pursue love. And I've added in, in square brackets, zealously strive, because strive, that's a poor translation, that's the NRSV, maybe your translation does better, version rather. So, strive, it's this idea of zeal, Alyssa alluded to this a few weeks ago, it's a, it's a zeal for the spiritual gifts. It's the same word, actually, um, 
the word zeal shows up a number of times in the scriptures to describe zeal for God's law. So much so that people start killing one another as a result of zeal for God's law, for those who are breaching God's law. Uh, Paul talks about, as to a persecutor of the church, I was zealous, right? So he makes the six-day journey from Jerusalem all the way to Damascus to arrest Jewish Christians. And so these gifts are available to, to strive after them. And uh, one thing that I've prayed for was the, was the gift of discernment. I don't know why, I just kind of felt that maybe the Lord would want to use that. And, and, and it's interesting, the gift of discernment, and one of you talked about it, um, is basically discerning what's happening in the, in the spiritual realm. It could be discerning the human spirit. It could be discerning the Holy Spirit. I think it's naturally or just open-ended. And uh, sometimes when I meet with individuals, I'll just have a, I, I, like, I try to remember to check my emotions because I think with the, the gift of discernment, you can discern kind of what people are carrying or how they're doing. And so sometimes after I, I'll, I met with somebody not long ago, and after that I just had this gutter feeling of loneliness. And I didn't feel lonely before I met uh, an individual. Sometimes I'll feel completely anxious. Sometimes I'll feel depressed. It, and of course, I'm not smart enough to be like, why do I feel this all of a sudden? It takes me a little while to put it together. Oh, I've been praying for the gift of discernment. So the question is, all right, that's all fine and well, Rob, assuming we even believe you. Um, that's all fine and well. What's the point? Well, the point is to be like, hey, do you ever sometimes feel a little bit lonely? Like, like to say that you've opened a door, that these spiritual gifts open a door for God to work so that you can be like, you know, I just start a conversation. Do you ever feel lonely? Are there certain points in your day? Well, yeah, I do. Well, can we pray about that, right? It's these spiritual gifts are enabling us to see in, in a way that, on a natural level, we wouldn't be able to see so that others could, could receive a touch from God. And so that was one gift that, that I prayed for and, and think that I received, and hopefully the Lord uh, can use that. And so they're not gifts that you have to wait a whole year for, like at Christmas time. The Holy Spirit desires to give them, but it's as the Holy Spirit chooses. Paul's very clear about that in verse 11 of, of uh, chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians. Another question would be, am I spiritual enough to receive these gifts of the Spirit? Well, there's great hope here, and that is because the group of people to whom Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 is the church in Corinth. And I have students say to me sometimes, I wish the church could be just as unified, uh, or sorry, the church today could be just as unified as it was in, in the times of the first century and the times of the New Testament. <laughs> you need to read your New Testament a little more carefully. These guys are always fighting with one another. Read Acts 15. Paul's got Christian Judaizers coming around and undermining his gospel. There is no division in that early, sorry, there is no unity in that early church. That's why Paul is always saying, be unified. He's calling them to be of one mind, right, in the spirit. And so all that to say, you don't have to get it right in order to receive the spiritual gifts. They're not contingent upon holiness. They're not contingent upon acts of righteousness because, well, they wouldn't be a gift anymore, would they? There's something like the gift of salvation, receiving God's grace. Charis, the Greek word is grace. Charisma is the Greek word for the spiritual gifts. The two are 
kind of cognates, right? They're linked with one another to show that there's nothing that we have to do to receive these things. And that church in Corinth, I mean, from sexual immorality to a party spirit to wrangling over eating food sacrificed to idols, I mean, Paul had his hands full with these people. But there, and when you get to 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the gifts of the Spirit were in full action, just kind of misappropriated and, and misused, and so he corrects their teaching on it. And that's why I think especially you may prophesy in there specifically for the Corinthian church because tongues was the main gift that was unintelligible, prophecy intelligible. And so Paul says, look how he opens this letter. And by the way, if you look at Galatians, if Paul has a problem with you, he's going to tell you. And to the letter of the church of Galatia, where there were Christians giving into this message of another gospel, Paul says, to the church in Galatia, full stop. There's no thanksgiving section. He's not even thankful for them. But here, to the church in Corinth, I mean, I think if I was running the show and writing to Corinth, I'd be like, to the church in Corinth, what's your problem, right? I mean, they're, in a sense, morally, they are way worse than the church in Galatia. And here's what Paul says to them, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified, <laughs> sanctified in Christ Jesus. Wow. But he's speaking to them as Christians who are on a journey. He's speaking to them as people whose, because they've accepted Jesus Christ, their identity is, yes, sanctified, set apart, but there's a little bit more to go in terms of the working out of their salvation and living into that, and, and that's clearly an example of this. So it's nothing about us. It's really just about our obedience, our own reception to the Holy Spirit. It's not even about how spiritual you'll, you feel. I mean, there are lots of times where I'm sure you may not feel like going to church, reading your Bible, praying, all of these things, but just turning to the Lord, inviting His presence in in those moments, just is kind of what we're called to do, irregardless of, regardless rather of how we feel. And the same with the spiritual gifts. And so this morning what I would like to do is just provide an opportunity for us as God's people to, to pray for one another. And um, you can't preach a sermon on the spiritual gifts and just leave it as a nice intellectual exercise and, oh, wasn't that lovely, and, and move on. No, we want to make space in this context to pray for each other. And Jesus, when he talks about the, the church, the people of God, he uses a metaphor and that is of the family of God. And, and there are some members of our family today who are undergoing some very difficult things and have had some very difficult news. And, and I think it would be wonderful if, if we as, 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 as God's people would gather around those who would come forward to receive prayers for maybe physical healing, maybe uh, prayers for uh, just issues in their li life that you feel comfortable sharing. If you would like prayer and you don't feel comfortable sharing the issue, just say, I have an unspoken request, right? We, we don't want to take anyone's dignity away, and if you're not comfortable with something, that's, that's fine. Um, but I think it's good that we pray together as God's family for one another. And, and I would encourage you um, to, to make space in your life in the next 10 minutes, as, as you come and, and pray uh, for, for an individual, just silently to yourself, I'll, I'll pray for the individuals that come forward, but I would like, if you feel it in your heart, for you as well to come forward and join your brother and sister or sister who, who is seeking prayer this morning. And, um, and I think that would be good. I always ask my students, does everyone understand what I've asked you to do? Is that clear? 
Because sometimes I do these things and everyone just sits there and, yeah, so, but I think this is pretty clear. Um, so, Brian, I wonder if the worship team could come forward and, and we'll just give um, folks a time. If you would, we'll just open up both sides of the altar. And uh, if you have certain prayers, I'll, I will just come over, I'll anoint you. Um, if that's your wish, and then we'll also ask other members of the congregation to come forward as well. Do you want to add anything to that? Uh, thank you, Rob, for that uh, wonderful message, inspiring message, a message of hope and faith. Remaining with us, and I want to offer a benediction before you go today. We want to allow you... Uh, to be able to go and uh, get on with your day. But if you want to remain and stay in an attitude of prayer with us, uh, we, we uh, would welcome that as well. Father, we thank you that you are a father and we are your children. And like any parent, you want to give good gifts to your children, especially the gift of your Holy Spirit. But along with that, there are these other gifts that Rob Snow talked about today. The gift of faith, the gift of miracles, and the gift of healing. And Lord, you, we know that you can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. And so we pray, Lord, today that you would send us from this place embracing the gifts that you've given us that we would earnestly zealously strive after or seek the gifts not for ourselves but for the benefit of others and for the glory of God bless us Lord but most of all make us a blessing to those around us in Jesus name Amen. God bless you.